Hello and welcome to another episode of Mortality and Me, the podcast and online stream live streaming show where we discuss things that people are very frightened to. Everything to do with death, dying, in between and beyond. This is the episode with the lovely John Devlin and uh, let's meet him straight away. Hello John. Hello Hilary, hi. How are you doing today? Yeah, not bad at all. It's a lovely day and it's great to talk to you here. So not doing too bad, thank you. Fabulous. Now, we've actually met in a very, very different circumstances to do with uh, the business world. So you are John Devlin, who owns a company called The Design Practice. That's and right, yeah. I run some business awards in this fair county, which is how our paths first crossed. Yeah, a few years ago now. It is a few years ago. However... Mm. We have uh, had a conversation that was generated from tweets. So through social media, we've connected up again because you've got some wonderful insights to share on a subject that people are starting to realise is absolutely fascinating to me. And I am really enjoying having these conversations with people and talking about things that maybe people are a little bit frightened to talk about. So well, let's jump in sure. then. What is so scary about talking about death? I think it's the inevitability of it. It's people maybe putting their head in the sand. It's all going to come to us. We're all going to feel it. We're all going to be touched by it. But somehow facing it head on doesn't always feel like an option. And I think it frightens people to know that this is coming. And it's just avoiding that issue, I guess. Yeah, it could be like the, um, yeah, it's, it's, also it's out of our control, isn't it? Well, predominantly out exactly. of most people's control. And why do you think it is, though, that we don't talk about death? What is it that holds us back? It's interesting when you look at the kind of taboos and uh, society, how society copes with death. It's such, I mean, why I became so interested in it is because it is, it's such a part of life. And um, it, it's everywhere, really, if you look for it, but it, it remains under that surface. And I think it's just, you know, a social kind of stigma with talking about it. I don't know if it's tempt, uh, tempting fate. Are people concerned that if they talk about death, they're going to be inviting it into their lives? I'm not, I'm not sure. It's definitely painful. It's painful. Death, death is not an easy thing. Um, and certainly with the work that I've done, I see that. And I think it is just that people don't want to face up to that, that inevitability. And uh, consequently, they just, they just push it out of the way, I guess. So you, you mentioned something in there that is the appropriate time to introduce now with the work that you've done. So what's changed in your life also as um, and career-wise that uh, we're okay. actually having this conversation? Well, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, when I, when I saw that message on social media, it kind of lifted my heart in a way to think that someone else is as interested in the process of death, bereavement, loss, grief, as I am. And that's why I kind of, you know, it resonated with me. Um, I've been working with the design practice, or own the design practice for, for almost 20 years now. But I'm actually starting up a counselling private practice. I've trained as and qualified as a counsellor last year. And most of my work has been in the bereavement and loss and grief sectors, if you like. I've been a volunteer with Cruz, who are the nationwide charity for bereaved people, and also work as a bereavement volunteer um, at the Wisdom Hospice in Rochester. Okay. So it's really working and being surrounded by people telling me these stories of, of loss and looking at how loss has affected has affected people in so many different ways. It's it's such a leveller. It's such a great leveller in a way, this idea that we will at some point lose our lives and lose people who are close to us. So, so if someone, 
whether it be a friend or a client of yours that was that was coming to you and they were talking about that how would you how would you help someone who was who was grieving how would you get them to start to come to terms with what they're feeling well it's really funny because the first questions you asked were about what's scary about talking about death why do we not talk about it so that to me kind of unlocks the first stage which is getting people to talk about it it's after the event of course but actually getting them to open up to express what's happened to them how they're feeling because that stigma that society has of not talking about death does continue quite often into the um, the bereavement stages so people are afraid people when they speak to death about death to their friends and family quite often people don't know how to react there's an awkwardness a clumsiness an embarrassment but actually with a counsellor with a bereavement counsellor in particular you're able to unload those thoughts and feelings the guilt all the stages of grief that people talk about that i i don't necessarily subscribe to but all of these things can come out so it gives people a chance to speak about how that loss has affected them mentally, physically, emotionally. Do you think maybe that um, someone who is going through a grieving process almost needs the um, the okay to be given the approval that it's okay to be able to start to move on and that by remembering someone, it doesn't always necessarily have to be a painful moment. It can actually trigger a wonderful memory and that it's okay to smile at the, at the memories of someone who's lost to us. Mm, oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I think certainly in that first stage, the shock, the, um, the kind of the trauma almost of losing that person and the finality of it and the unknown of it. What happens to us? What happens to that person? Are they still around in some way? There's all these questions as well. But certainly it is okay. Whatever you feel in grief and loss is okay because that's what you're feeling. And for me, it's working with clients, working with people, almost getting them to tap into those feelings. But there is good, as you say, there's great memories there. We encourage people, especially with Cruz's philosophy, of exploring happy memories, not, not ducking from them, not hiding from them, and not feeling guilty when you smile and remember somebody, or when you laugh and remember somebody. Yeah. And when you start to use that phrase, move on, and some people are frightened of the words moving on. Because yeah. by implication, if you move on, they're worried it means you've forgotten, you've left them behind. So you're absolutely right. It's a way of kind of holding those memories as you move on and carrying them with you in, in some form. I am, I, I'm, I know you're aware that I practice as a funeral celebrant. Mm. And one of the things that I like to include in my ceremonies is to encourage the laughter. Sometimes, mm. you know, when someone's passed away and they've lived a good life, let's take an example of an elderly person where they've lived a good life and had a good innings, as it were, and they were cantankerous and they had quirks and foibles that drove the family mad. When the family members share these, uh, that then gets written into the eulogy, and you look across at the congregation, obviously in times of COVID-19, a very greatly reduced mm. congregation, but when you look at them and you just see in their eyes that they're having a memory and it's triggering something for themselves, that's an absolutely beautiful moment because mm. right at that process where we're saying our physical farewell to someone, be it at a graveside or in a crematorium, we're giving each other the the, the okay to be able yeah. to start grieving and to remember with laughter and, and happiness and sadness. There is going to be sadness, of course, but yeah. Um, 
I was thinking actually, uh, we're going back to the the um well the act, the art, the art, the act of actually of actually dying. And I think I, I've personally been uh, involved in the witnessing of, of a family member close to me holding their hand, etc. Have you ever watched someone die and, and explain what the, the beautiful side that may be associated there? I don't know if it would be indiscreet of me to mention that I've scribbled down a few notes before I before I came on and spoke to you today. And certainly right. beautiful, special were words that popped up for that question because I think I I was with my mum when she died when I was about 12, I was 23, back in the early 90s. And it was an extraordinary time. And it is a special time. It's a spiritual moment. All these cliches we can roll out, but they're all true. And not everybody has the opportunity to say goodbye in that way. But when you do, when you're with someone and you look around the room and you see who's there and you're with that person when they go, it's incredible because you then realise how the body is is just a shell. They, they do leave. They're not there. And the thing I remember with my mum, if you don't mind me sharing, just, just it felt like minutes after she died. My mum had aged before her years. The wrinkles faded. The wrinkles just left her face. Um. And it was almost like this idea that you're, when she'd been ill with emphysema for some time, but when you're struggling for breath, you're struggling to hold on to life, when that freedom and that struggle is released, the calm and peace and her body just, just relaxed. It was extraordinary. So I was with my mum and actually my dad died six years ago. And that's what spurred me on to this journey to become a, a become a counsellor, to, to work within counselling. And again, it was very fortunate that we were all there. My family were all there and we were able to be with him as he went through those last those last breaths. Dad had died in New Zealand. And um, it was one of those one of those kind of cliche panic trips around the world, you know, I think when we spoke before. And, I, and he died three hours after I arrived at his house. So all wow. the way from the UK to Palmerston North in New Zealand, it was that time. But to be with him, and I have regrets that he couldn't speak to me. He was, um, you know, semi-conscious, unconscious really, not even semi-conscious. But to have those moments and to hold his hand and to say, Dad, I'm here, that, that's all you can do. But there's something about those moments, and Hilary, I don't know if you would agree, that you you just absorb them. And they're so important to explore those feelings, explore those last moments, because in some respect they shape how you then spring back from a death. I think they that's the, almost the, the starting point for accepting and understanding what's going what's gone on. Well, as when we spoke, you were aware that I've um, my parents died within three months of each other. Yeah, and I cared yeah. for them both at home. And having been with my mum and watching that breath and giggling with my dad about things that happened, and it was it was there was some lovely moments and it was a real bonding. She waited, mm. you know, she only mm. waited till I went to make some homemade soup and feed my dad lunch. Your dad waited for you to travel halfway around the world. And is that because maybe the hearing is the last thing to apparently go? That he knew that once he'd heard that you were there, that it yeah. was okay. It was. It was okay for him to go. He'd he'd waited for you, and I think that's the sort of memory that gives me goosebumps. Just just listening to that, thinking about that from you. If I can share something with you, Hillary, as well. When I came, when I landed in Auckland, and uh, my sister had messaged me and phoned me, 
get a get a faster flight, get a quicker flight. That's you know that's going. You must hurry. And um, I couldn't get a faster flight. And then my normal flight was cancelled. This is a, the quirk of how life works, doesn't it? And I was in Auckland Airport just in bits. I was in absolute bits. The kindness of the the people there who helped me through that. And again, that's another spurring starting point for my journey was how people look after other people when they're they're in trouble, when they're grieving. Um, And Helen, my sister, said to me, I've told Dad you've landed in Auckland. And he just went, thumbs up. He couldn't speak, but he just raised his hand as if to say, "Okay, I know he's coming. And that, that moment chokes me up. It's so wonderful to hear that he did that. It's lovely to hear these moments from other people. I mean, I'm, um, I'm dealing with a lot of families who have had people recently departed, so within days okay. of, um, before us meeting. And mm-hmm. the emotions are so raw and, and it's quite difficult to uh, collate memories. And we're trying to create a celebration of people's lives because although there are religious elements in the funerals that I do conduct, not all of them, uh, that it's about the person and it's capturing those moments. And it's quite difficult when people are grieving and are in pain to bring out those cantankerous, those quirks, those moments, mm-hmm. those those kinds of things. And, and we spoke about how you can celebrate someone's life. And we were talking about the sort of funerals that, that you know, that would um, encourage that. So obviously a celebration of life. Have you ever done a reading at a funeral? Well... I did one at my dad's, funnily enough, and again, part of this life-changing experience. I delivered the eulogy to the to the church, 10-minute eulogy, and do you know what? It's, it's probably my proud, one of my proudest moments. I never thought, I'm a bit of a softie, Hilary, if I'm honest, no. and, I never, <laughs> and I never thought I would be able to do that, but I wrote it and delivered it, and I did it. I didn't crack. I had to pause. You know, you were able, when I'm because Dad died, and I think the day of the funeral was the anniversary of my mum's death. So these things come around, wow. don't they? They synchronise. And mum died on Mother's Day. So there's all these little synchronicities that, that come about. When I mentioned my mum, it caught me short, and I had to pause. But you pause, you continue. But actually, what at the start of that healing process, to document, to write down, what I remembered about dad, what I loved about dad, his life story, you start to put the process in place at that point, which is why funerals, I'm so in awe of what you do, because funerals are so, so important for marking the end of the life, but also the starting of life without that person. And I think the rituals and the ceremony that goes with that is is vital. It has, you know, a good funeral is, is a wonderful thing. You know, a lot of people don't realise that there is a lot more freedom to a funeral than there used to be, even say in the the 80s and 90s, there is a lot more flexibility where it's not related around certain, and some rituals are taken over, but some people can create their own rituals and having that freedom. I mean, would you pre-plan your own funeral and share your wishes with your family and loved ones? It's one of those things, I think, at half two in the morning when you can't sleep, you start running through that checklist. And one of my things is I've got songs worked out that I want played, and some of them are quite long. And I've insisted to my wife that no one leaves until the song's finished. None of this fading it out early. You stay. You stay for the full the full ten minutes of it. Um, I do. I think it's kind of and, – and, but, you know, Dad had done that. My Dad had done that. He'd left clues. 
not 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 clues as in Scooby Doo deliberate clues around the place, but there were things became apparent that that's what we needed to follow. We need to be followed readings. He'd he'd written in a book. I like this poem for for when it's my time. And I think subconsciously we all plan our funerals. We plan how we would like it to go, what we would like people to say, and how you want to put your last mark on the world because it is your last. It's your last mark. It's your last statement, as it were. So yeah, I often I often plan mine. <laughs> I uh, I remember when I went to uh, spent a day watching funerals in the crematorium to see if this was some a role that I could take, okay. and I was paying attention to people's music choices. And um, yeah. I thought, first of all, that someone was setting me up, uh, you know, to make me not want to do this, because the first one was Ring of Fire. In the crematorium, the, the coffin came in with the pallbearers to Ring of Fire, and I, I, <laughs> I was expecting candid camera. And that moment, when I realised it was serious, clarified to me that funerals can be the most beautiful thing and oh. that there are no limitations on on certain things, and I, I really like that when I work with the families. Is I start with every family with a blank piece of paper, yeah. So I don't copy and paste from previous services. Everyone starts new. Yes, there are similarities, but everyone's an individual. And I sometimes I I, I become friends with these people in my head while I'm writing about them, and I think it's lovely. That, mm. um, so, for example, there's a natural burial ground, which a lot of people haven't heard about. This whole natural burial I process. No, there's one um, in High Halstead, which is uh, one I've been. I've done three or four, three ceremonies there, okay. and I went to do the third ceremony there last week. And I walked past my two previous um, lovely peoples, and I, I know their names, and they're very close to each other in the in the burial ground. And I said good morning to them both, and it was just it was lovely. It was beautiful sunshine, and and it's absolutely mm. wonderful. And I think because funerals, I thought they might make me cry. But they don't. They make me happy to be able to give the family that, which yeah. mm. kind of another side of this whole grief thing. I come in, you come in. We all have our own. We both have our own roles within this this world, and, mm. and I think it's amazing. I think it's fantastic that you're coming out saying about your your Enzo counselling. Um, mm. Just going to put that as a little reminder on the bottom. And, oh, and so you're just you. literally launching, going to be launching this and having done a lot of experience and training hours and yeah, now yeah. you're getting ready to launch and you're actually, are you in your office where you're going to be working from? I am. Yeah, it's over there. I mean, one half, I'm still, you know, obviously I'm still doing some design stuff and doing, but like you, we do lots of different things. But this is such a powerful sort of, is vocation too heavy a word? I don't know. Um, it's such a... It's such a powerful vocation for me in how we care for people who have yeah. lost someone. I think that's so, so important. And you, the, the word that you, you really said there, that idea of diversity, and that's why the stages of death, stages of grief can be problematic because people think, well, hang on, I've not gone through these yet. I'm, I'm over here because every every loss is different. Every experience is different. And even when some individual dies, two people of the same family won't experience that death in the same way because of their relationship. So the diversity with death is extraordinary. And it's and that's why I think people get so nervous thinking, am I doing it right? Am I grieving correctly? And the answer is, yeah, always, because it's your personal experience, your um, your relationship with, with death and with that with that loss. I'm in awe that you are taking it as an individual experience and not a textbook from 
um, oh, in the sure. studying and stuff. And it's, mm. it's, um, it's the same with me. Every single person who I deal with, touch points with any of the family and each individual who we're celebrating are exactly that, individuals. And yeah. it, it's wonderful. And I think we need to know that there are people we can talk to. And also, when, when my parents died within such a short space of each other, people mm. didn't know what to say to me. So they would say, you know, I'm sorry you lost your parents. And I would think, because they needed me to break the ice. And I'd say, I didn't lose them. I know exactly where they are. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, was, it was, I found myself breaking the ice and comforting other people in their reaction to my grief. And actually what you said there is interesting because I've known clients who use certain words. And one client insisted on using the word I've lost them, that he didn't know where the person was. And yet others don't. So again, we're looking at totally different experiences and you're, you're clutching your heart. I always say they're here and they're here. Um, but it's people's experiences are so different and we've got to be very careful of the words they use because that's that's their perspective. So if you, if, you know, lost, passed away, we've, we've got to look at these words and think, are they the right ones for that individual? And I follow their lead. I always follow the lead of the person, whatever phrases, phrases they use. Um, but it is important to understand that it's okay and there's no textbook. There's plenty of textbooks for death. I've got them over there. But when you, when, when you face it head on, it is what it is, and it's it's going to be your your personal experience of it. John, thank you so much for joining me on the Mortality and Me podcast. It's thank you for wonderful. asking me, Hilary. It has thank been wonderful to you, and uh, I will catch up with you again soon, I'm sure. And as we uh, develop onto actually structure, other structured topics, I'd love to have you back on the show if you would care to join me. I'd love to. It's it's such a powerful subject and one very very close to me. So I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you.